Good morning and welcome to the Design Leaders Podcast. Every day I speak with candidates looking to grow in the world of design, development and construction. I also speak with market leaders at the peak of their career who regularly talk about mentorship and helping the next crop of leaders in their own development. How can we help professionals reach their goals in a small but growing industry? Each episode, I want to provide a great opportunity for professionals of all levels to learn from market and thought leaders about avenues for development, areas to focus, how to speak about their project experience and over time help guide other professionals in their longer term goals and motivations. This morning, I'm here with Bernadette Muncy, Principal and Architecture Discipline Lead of Smith Group. Bernadette has over 20 years of experience in architecture and design, mostly focused across healthcare facilities, developing a mantra of vulnerability isn't something to be ashamed of. Mistake, mistakes don't equal failures. They can transform into innovation and growth. Bernadette, I really appreciate you coming on this episode and welcome. Thank you, Jakey. I always start uh, these episodes off the same. So if we just jump straight into it, Bernadette, how and why did you get into architecture and design? Well, you have to turn back the clock a few years uh, to when I was about eight years old. Um, I was very fortunate. My parents were in the process of building a vacation home in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And uh, as part of that process, we uh, would stay in a number of different homes down there. And we would also go on to construction sites, don't tell OSHA, uh, but we would go onto construction sites of new homes being built. And uh, my sister and I and my parents would just go around the house and try to figure out where was the bathroom, where was the kitchen, where were the bedrooms, how was this place being set up? And it was interesting because it was still a, a skeleton of framing. Um, and so it was it was kind of interesting to to see it, uh, see a building with its skin taken off and then to see it go through the process of, you know, finally getting to, you know, drywall and, and whatnot. And so that was a pretty formative part of my youth. Uh, fast forward, I took some courses in high school. I actually did a residency uh, at Falling Water. Uh, which is a great program for high school kids. Um, and that really cemented my interest and desire to pursue architecture. Um, and I guess the rest is history. I went to school for architecture and here I am. Interesting. I can't tell you how many people I speak with where the love of architecture comes from watching their parents build a home or design a home. So it's interesting to hear that. Obviously, you know, the transition from watching that happen many years ago to now, um, just a question on, on, on more of a focus in, in terms of healthcare. How have you spelt, felt about spending such a big chunk of your career in healthcare architecture? So I will admit I, I didn't start out as a healthcare architect. It's something that I uh, decided to pursue relatively early on, I had probably seven years of experience and we were starting to head into a recession. I had started to see a number of my friends uh, get laid off. Mm -hmm. I had started in more of a, a multi-practice uh, office. We did residential, we did daycare facilities, we did community centers. 
And I was starting to see some of that work start to die off. And I wanted to learn some new things, right? I have a deep passion for learning. And healthcare to me at the time seemed like a financially stable <laughs> market for the most part. Unfortunately, people are always getting sick. But the fortunate part is that our technology is constantly uh, updating. And so I found myself uh, interviewing with a healthcare design firm and really got interested in all of the different parts and pieces that make up healthcare, the different departments, the different ways that people do things, the different streams through healthcare, whether it's patients, public, staff, medicine, supplies, waste, uh, all of that started to become more interesting to me because before when I was when I was doing a different different sector of, of architecture, it was really more about just the public. And I wanted to get more into understanding all of the different people that interact with spaces. Got you. And looking back to those early days in those first kind of seven years in, in that multidiscipline design capacity, how do you think your leadership back then would have described you as an individual? So uh, a bit of a perfectionist, <laughs> um, but also curious and with some confidence. I, I grew relatively quickly uh, in my early years, even my, my first year out of school, I was leading projects. I was leading a, it was not a very exciting one. It was an asbestos um, uh, removal from a large building in downtown Boston. But I, I got an opportunity to lead probably before I may have been ready. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I grew into my career, um, started to lead after I had already led. So uh, it was kind of an interesting transition. But uh, yeah, I would say perfectionist, curious, and kind of a leader before for years, I would say. Nice. And then fast forwarding approximately 20 years, how do you feel as though your colleagues, your peers, your employees would describe you now as a leader? They would probably describe me. In fact, I know they would probably describe me as as empathetic, uh, somebody who really cares about the people and developing skills in our emerging designing, emerging designers, um, and somebody who's pretty well organized. I try to think about the things that I'm doing, about the process, not just the result, um, and that's where I I really find a lot of satisfaction because I I've feel like architecture is like creating a puzzle. It's doing a puzzle, but you're not just doing a puzzle with pieces that were already created. You're actually designing every single piece of that puzzle. And to put those individual pieces together into this wonderful picture, right? Something that you're actually going to uh, be able to see and understand as a whole is, is really interesting to me, so. I love the notion of a puzzle. I do speak with a lot of people, particularly in healthcare and life sciences, where they refer to it as a puzzle and solving complex pro projects. So I, I love that notion there. And then you had 
mentioned just previously that you know you you you, may, you feel as though you may have you know been leading projects perhaps before you, you know your, your time was ready as a leader so on on that topic when do you feel like you became a leader was, was there a specific moment or was it over time and then you looked back and, and realized I don't think when I was in the moment I ever realized that I was a leader even now I struggle sometimes with recognizing my impact on others but I think it's it's definitely developed over time. And I think humility in leadership is important. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why I don't always see myself as a leader, even when I am leading. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't sound very humble, but, <laughs> but at, at any rate, yeah, just understanding. Um, no, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I think humble with a you know with a with a bit of confident flair thrown in is is also always going to be important for a leader. So it, it does make sense that Bernadette. And learning from leaders are always important. So what's something that you learn from a leader in your career that you've taken on board and that still sticks with you to this day? So I, I've definitely had a few mentors along the way. One of the most impactful i have two that that i can think of that are that have been the most impactful from a technical perspective um there was a gentleman at my previous firm before i came to smith group that really taught me a lot of a lot of the technical stuff that i that i teach people now in fact a lot of what he taught me i use to teach others. Mm-hmm. So it's that has been very impactful. But from a leadership perspective, my current office director, Mark Desome, has really had a major impact on me um, in terms of being able to treat people as people, um, treating people with respect, and getting curious about what the issues are. Um, he took me through a process where we both became uh, facilitators for something called Arbinger, which is it's a, a group out in 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 the Midwest, um, and they really teach some pretty common sense practices about how to treat people as people, having respect, curiosity, and not getting frustrated. So really kind of taking accountability for your own action within a situation. And that has really created a very strong sense of accountability in myself, sometimes over accountability, but definitely, you know, accountability in terms of what am I bringing to the situation? And how can I interact with somebody in a way that I am understanding the pressures that they're under, and how I'm impacting their life and their work. Interesting. I'm going to follow up with you after this, Bernadette Arbin- Arbinger, because I think um, you know a third-party resource like that that's not necessarily just about architecture and, and this world will probably be helpful for people across different yeah. industries. So I'll follow up with you after this about that, and, and we'll share that link perhaps when we share this um, this episode. Sure. The next question 
it might be difficult because you just outlined two mentors that you know stayed with you and have been real impactful uh, to this point in your career. I'm going to challenge you to uh, provide just one. If you can't provide just one, then then I'll take two as well. And it could either be the individual from your previous firm or Mark. But I'm going to ask you uh, for an example of a quality former leader of yours or mentor of yours that you really respect and why. Oh, quality leader that I respect. I mean, Mark, I respect. He is an engineer by by trade, by discipline. So Mark Jassome, who works at Smith Group, he's the office director of the Boston location. Mm-hmm. And he is he is an engineer by discipline, but he is a philosopher by by heart, I think. Um, and he has been so impactful on my career, recognizing my value to the firm and helping to kind of help it to blossom, help my leadership grow, um, learning to not to depend on somebody for like permission, but to in some ways and in some times to go a little rogue in order to get things done. Um, and I think that has really been a major part of my growth as a leader. Interesting. Well, when we do eventually share this and, and go ahead and tag Mark in the uh, in the comments underneath, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be happy to have heard that. So thanks Maybe. for that. <laughs> Um, so, so that's a bit of a discussion around your own development and your own growth until this point, Bernadette. Moving on to more of a design-based discussion, starting off with a hypothetical. If you could design or build absolutely anything, money not being uh, an issue, what would you be designing and what would you be building? It can be healthcare related. It doesn't have to be. What's your thoughts there? I think uh, for most architects, most designers, one of the most important kind of parts of pride in being a designer is being able to point at something and say, look what I did, right? Uh, And I think for that reason, being able to design my own home would be an incredible journey, certainly one that would have a lot of stress and impact on just kind of how I live. But I think I think that would be probably the most interesting, long-lasting pieces. Um, yeah, to be able to design my own home, to like really do what I, I want to do and, and, and clarify how I want to live. And I think that's probably, that would probably resonate with a number of folks in the industry. And some people have had the, the, the privilege of being able to do that. Certainly architecture is not the most lucrative of professions. And so that is not necessarily in my uh, budget at this point in time. But yeah, if I had no, if I had no budget, I think I would probably design my own home. Interesting. Or maybe on the cards in the future. And and when that time comes, do you have the picture of it in your head? Have you got some non-negotiables that you know you'd want to include? I've, you know, I've, I've gone down the design road a few times and trying to figure some things out, but I don't know. In, in some ways, I feel like I might never complete it, 
right? It's kind of like the, what is it? The Winchester Rifle Mansion where the, the woman kept designing uh, over and over and over and building and building and building and probably be what would happen. It's a never a never ending project, essentially. Constantly growing and learning and figuring out how to do things better. Interesting. Yeah. Now, kind of more back to you know your actual real world design approach. What's the favorite project that you've been a part of, and what was your role within that project? So, my favorite project uh, is Maine General Medical Center. So, this is I think it, they actually call it the Alfond. Center for Health. It's in Augusta, Maine. It was a project that I worked on uh, just over 10 years ago. It was an integrated project delivery. So it was a little bit of a unique delivery model. And my role on it was the project, one of the project architects of the fit out. It was, it was interesting because we had a partner firm. Uh, SMRT was our partner firm. And we worked together with uh, contractors and the owner at the same time to create a 650,000 square foot plus or minus ground up hospital, which you don't, you don't really get to do very often in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I learned so much, not just on kind of technical aspects, but I learned about working with people. I learned about uh, working with contractors and learning more about how they build things. Um, and that has transformed how I document. Um, and, and I would say I'm more, I, I call myself more of a technician. So I like to design the puzzle pieces, like I mentioned before, the puzzle pieces. Um, and I like to, Sometimes I like to see the picture on the box so I can kind of target what it's going to look like, but I'm not always creating that final image and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm more of a technician and that really provides me a lot of uh, learning opportunities because again, there's always new technology, there's new products, there's new situations. Um, and that has really that has really helped me through my career is just constantly trying to find those things that I can learn from the people that I can learn from situations that I can resolve. And uh, yeah, and it was interesting because we also, we were working very closely with our um, cost estimation partners on the construction side. And so really learning how to design to a target value was, was pretty cool. You know, you didn't just have, oh, I can do whatever I want. And then somebody's going to rein me back in and value engineer it. No, we had to, we had to do it in parallel. And it's just really interesting to see how everybody else works. And I've made a lot of lifelong friends from that situation, um, from that project. And I've heard nothing but, but positive things about that. And on a personal note, I have, uh, one of my college friends, her parents live in Augusta and one of them had a, a health crisis and had to go to the emergency room. And after that, uh, at this hospital, and after that, uh, he calls it uh, St. Bernadette's Hospital, <laughs> which I, I find that 
humorous and also kind of satisfying because again it's one of those instances where you can say look I helped do that you know I have I was a part of that that is that is something that I can claim it's mm. part of my experience well perhaps if we get enough listeners we can get a petition out for a name change for St Bernadette I think oh it no. no sounds lovely there's plenty, there's plenty of those out there <laughs> um so that's kind of a hypothetical, something from the past. And now moving to today, what's to the extent that you can discuss, because there might be some things that you're not able to discuss, but what's something that your team is currently working on that you find particularly impressive and noteworthy and worthy of sharing? So Smith Group has a lot of excellent uh, resource groups. Um, and I think just from a from the nature of it being a large firm we're just over 1300 people i believe mm -hmm. at last count we have some pretty amazing resource groups um, that are working in you know sustainability decarbonization building technology we they actually work with uh, the manufacturers of different products and and work with testing them we have um, you know, our, our tip group is is really interesting in that they are working directly with Autodesk in many cases to improve our workflow. And I think those are those are some pretty interesting things. Project-wise, uh, I can't really talk about all of the projects because of different confidential confidentiality agreements. Um, but we have a another ground up hospital that we're currently working on in the Northeast. And again, you don't see very many of those. And so to have two ground up hospitals out of the same office in less than 10 years is pretty incredible. So I find that pretty exciting. I think particularly you're you're absolutely right. You know you don't see those projects all together that often. So for those in the healthcare space, I think they'll look at that Smith Group office in uh, or that studio in Boston and think, you know, wow, they're doing some really interesting things. So yeah. thanks for sharing that. Um, now again, moving on, more more of a focus on your goals moving forward, um, and 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 kind of a discussion around your goals. When you first started out in your career in architecture. What were your goals and have you achieved those goals and how have they changed over time? Goals. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I had too many when I first started out. I, uh, you know, my goal was to get licensed, which I highly encourage any, anybody who is, who wants to advance in the profession and is committed to the profession to get licensed. Um, I can't say that strongly enough. That was probably my very first goal was just to get licensed, just to kind of pay back, uh, you know, the the work that I had done and the financial uh, contribution that my parents had made to my education. I was again very privileged in that, but to, it, yeah, really just to to get my license, and I would say. Probably the next goal would be, you know, to use that license to be able to stamp and sign a drawing. And I can't say that I've been able to do that. A lot of firms these days tend to um, kind of, 
identify certain individuals within the office, within the hierarchy that will stamp and sign drawings. Mm -hmm. But I feel that that is just, that's something that is still a goal of mine is to be able to stamp and sign drawings within, within Smith group. Interesting. So. And for the next stage of your career, what's something you focused on now? What's your upcoming goal? Yeah, I you know it's it's interesting that you ask me about goals because I am currently in a in a space where I'm trying to figure out what that next thing is. Um, being mid career, right? So I'm quite literally in the center of my career. If you look at a typical college to retirement timeline, <laughs> um, and I am right now looking looking to figure out what that next thing is. And I, I'm not sure if I've completely figured it out. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I think a lot of times people focus on like, you know, getting to the next big thing. And I want to take my time. I want to really find out what that is. I recently did an exercise uh, called Ikigai. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it is a, a Japanese um, word and it, it describes a, a process of identifying what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and uh, what your where your passions lie. And finding the intersection of those things, I, think I might be missing one or two of the, the objectives, but really trying to focus on what's your purpose in life and and that and that's that's something that I'm currently working on for myself I haven't quite gotten there but trying to navigate through a number of different options got you so it sounds like a, a goal to figure out what the what the goal yeah. will be and um to be honest that you know I actually I asked my dad a similar question not too long ago who is well past the age of retirement and his answer to that was I don't know so I think you know <laughs> he, he still doesn't know so I think that's a, a fair answer there Bernadette um so thanks for that and then kind of moving on to some a bit of, a bit of advice for industry professionals you know as as a leader in this space um you might see quite a number of resumes what do you want to see from a top quality candidate when looking specifically at the resume? We'll get to the interview in a moment, but this is specifically about that piece of paper that is the resume. So I think one thing that's that's kind of gotten lost from uh, from resumes and also just the general uh, interview uh, application process is a summary of kind of what your objective is. What are you trying to get out out of this job? What are what are what are your passions? What are your your goals if you have any that are that are identifiable? Um, and why are you applying to this particular role? Oftentimes, I see you know it's it's the very basic dates of you know when I worked here, when I worked there. Uh, sometimes it's a, a list of different skills where people rate themselves which i don't find very helpful because if somebody else isn't rating you then <laughs> but it's you know i have to trust you but I, I you haven't built trust with me yet so i can't really take that uh, into too much consideration so yeah just really 
I think when I when I interview somebody, when I look at their resume, I want to learn a little bit about what makes them tick, mm-hmm. not just where they've been, but also where they want to be. Because that's going to help me identify their potential for whatever the role is and for future leadership. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and you know, I, I couldn't agree more. It's something that I say to candidates all the time that, you know, hiring managers don't just want to see where you've worked and exactly what you did there. They'll want to learn more context about your passions and, and, and what you're looking for in your career and why that role. So I couldn't agree more with that. Then moving on to arguably the most important part of the process, the interview. What are some common mistakes that you see candidates making in an interview when discussing their experience? So, and this is at all different levels, but a lot of times folks, they just want to like identify, here's here's a project I did, isn't it cool, right? Um, and, you know, they might walk through the design, but what I really want to hear is the story. I want to hear what their role was what obstacles they might've faced, what are they really proud of, what did they learn, and how are they gonna take whatever mistakes or learning they did, how are they gonna take that into the future or how have they already done that? How are they learning um, across the years of their experience? When I hear, when I ask a question, oftentimes I ask for stories And when I get a response that is uh, not anecdotal, it kind of, it's frustrating because I want to like, this is, this is like, I get an hour, sometimes only 45 minutes to really get to know somebody to figure out if they're going to be successful, you know, at our, at, at my firm. And if I'm not hearing those those stories, uh, then it's it's hard to understand. And I would say for for young folks just getting out of school, the stories don't have to be about your work career. They can be about um, you know working on a project at school. They can be about uh, you know a, a, a family dynamic that you worked through. They can be a number of different things, a volunteer position. Um, you know, really just trying to figure out what makes somebody tick because mm-hmm. I'm not hiring you for your past. I'm hiring you for your potential. And if I can't hear that you have not only done things, but learned from those things, it's going to be more difficult for me to, to identify that you're going to be a success at, at Smith Group. I honestly thought I'd heard all the, you know, recruitment taglines out there, but I'm not hiring for your past. I'm hiring for your potential is a new one that I love. And I think I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll start including that in my, uh, in my candidate qualification calls when, when speaking with well, them. So well, thanks good. for that. <laughs> um, now, Bernadette, I often ask this question and, and, and people change the timeline that I give. So you can choose whatever timeline it can be three to five years, five to 10 years, the next 20 years, but how do you think the industry is going to change over the next input range here? <laughs> um, so I am a little bit concerned about our current our current market finance status. Um, 
I don't have, I'm certainly not an economist, but my intuition and, you know, the, my past history, when I got out of school, we had a dot-com bust and we're starting to see a lot of layoffs in, uh, in those more, you know, internet related professions. So I'm a little concerned there, but I'm also seeing some interesting growth in areas of construction technology. So like there's like robots that <laughs> robots that they're using more in, in construction that are pretty interesting and could potentially revolutionize how we do our work and also artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, and I think that those are areas where we're going to see some pretty steep learning curves, some pretty steep advancement over the next three to five years to use your timeline. <laughs> um, and then certainly beyond. So the next three to five years, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of those technologies become more commonplace mm -hmm. um, because we are going to need to be more efficient. And if my kind of gut instinct intuition rings true with financial instability and in, in, in construction, we're, we might have fewer people doing the work. And so becoming more efficient in the short term is really going to be valuable in the long term. Mm -hmm. And one thing, I think one uh, caveat that I have from living through the last major recession we lost a lot of great talent. We lost great talent to other professions, to uh, you know different roles in other industries. And right now there's a gap. There is definitely a gap in our ability to, uh, to perform work in a way that we are not only executing, but also guiding younger individuals. And I think using things like machine learning, I think that is a way potentially to document and manage our knowledge. So three to five years, machine learning, AI, construction technologies. Interesting. Yeah. With, having said that, with the need to become ever more increasingly efficient, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here or, or one or the other, but where do you see the benefit lying most for a junior professional in, in their own development? Is it the idea of niching into a specific sector and, and focusing in one place or being quite a generalist until a certain point and then perhaps choosing um, you know, a more focused direction? Where do you see the added benefit in an industry where we do need to become more and more efficient? Well, I think I think all individuals should start out being generalists or at least being open to it because that's where you're going to be able to touch on different aspects of what we do um, in different markets, you know, different building types. Uh, but I think one of the benefits of becoming more efficient in our production work, because that's where a lot of young architects start out, is in production. You're not necessarily always doing design when you first get out of school. You know, there might be one or two special individuals who get taken under somebody's wing, but it's it's pretty rare that, that somebody just out of school is designing everything because you have to understand how a building goes together before you can really design it. Um, I recall, I recall a, a, a phrase in college 
where we build a lot of models out of cardboard and chipboard that if you build your model out of cardboard and chipboard, it's gonna look like a building made out of cardboard and chipboard, so, <laughs> which I think is, is interesting because we didn't know how buildings went together. We knew how to use hot glue gun on cardboard and chipboard. Um, but I think, I think it's important for, for young folks to become generalists. And I feel like what I predict for the next three to five years with becoming more efficient, learning more efficiency, is that hopefully there will be less of less repetitive tasks. So less, you know, tagging things on elevations or uh, less, you know, redimensioning things because we did it wrong the first time, but still being able to focus on the things that we as humans need to be really involved in. So the design, the, you know, how, how do we want this building to go together? How are we designing the individual puzzle pieces? Again, I'll bring it back to that. Um, but really understanding, really understanding the, the basics and not just having to kind of work on the same thing over and over and over again. We often hear about young folks getting pigeonholed to, uh, to use a colloquialism, you know, really doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again on a project and not being able to, to expand and to grow their knowledge on that project. And I, I think that's important. So the more efficient that we can get, the easier and more streamlined the learning process is, and the more opportunities there are for young folks to dive into other pieces and parts of the project so they can get a wider breadth of experience in a shorter amount of time. Awesome. Well, thank you for that insight there, Bernadette. And I do have a couple of other questions for you, but since we, we do have a little bit of time here, you know, we can hear from you that there's a passion there for the industry. There's a passion there for mentorship, a passion for healthcare design. But what most might not know about you, and they can read it on the Smith Group website, is there is clearly a passion for your dog, Tickle, as well. And I think there's a bit of a story there. So more of a personal one rather than a, a a professional but do you want to tell us that story i think it was a rescue yeah so tickle uh tickle was my very first dog and we found we found tickle on pet finder uh and she came to us with the description of American Staffordshire Terrier as as her breed description and i had no idea what that was no idea. We met her. She was energetic. Uh, she had actually been in a number of, of uh, she'd been adopted out at least twice, I think maybe three times, had been to a couple different foster families, was like not doing so great, right? But she was so full of love and joy and energy. And when we met her, my husband and I were like, yep, this is this is the dog uh, that we are going to bring home, and we brought we brought her home, and probably within a week uh, we found out that American Staffordshire Terrier is also known as a pit bull, <laughs> um, and of course you know growing up in the in the eighties pit bulls were scary things, so I was like oh that seems odd, but we loved her so much already that we we worked a lot with her to kind of tone down some of her 
not great behavior so that she could become somewhat of a model citizen. Um, but she's still, she's not perfect. And I think, I think that's important to recognize that none of us are perfect. And it's about how we, how we impact others. So she impacted our lives. She impacted her foster family's life and our adoption and, and keeping of her impacted their lives. Um, and we've we've been able to grow a little bit of a of a small network of tickle appreciators <laughs> um, over the course of time. Um, yeah, she's she's definitely impacted just how I just how I deal with a lot of different stressors in life. Um, part of I think part of being a dog owner is you have to realize that they project all of the different energies that you give to them so if you're sad they want to comfort you they're going to be a little bit sad with you if you're angry they're going to they're going to get defensive and they're going to lash out and so and if you get excited they're going to get excited so figuring out how to temper my own emotions around her has helped me grow as an individual because it it helps me to realize my impact on others um in a very literal way <laughs> interesting you talk about her you know that tickles impact on you meaning your impact on others it's a it's an interesting take and kind of as we come towards the end Bernadette um is there anything in you know we will be sharing this podcast episode with many people uh, across design development and construction so there'll be a lot of candidates uh, hopefully a lot of candidates listening to this episode and I wonder if there's anything specific about Smith Group perhaps maybe about your office in particular that you think is important to share with those individuals um, when listening to this podcast well Smith Group is a is a pretty large firm. We have a ton of resources. We have quite a few offices around the country. And I think probably the thing that that is the most interesting about Smith Group compared to some other large firms is our ability to work across different time zones. We tend to partner with each other. And I would say during COVID, it's become even, even easier to do so. Um, but it, it allows our staff here in Boston to experience uh, the work and, and projects that other offices and other, other states are doing. Um, so it expands your, your ability to experience other project types, other, other individuals, other leadership styles, other ways of doing things. I mean, we do have a, a very good set of standards at Smith Group, but, you know, there's always deviations that happen for different reasons on projects, and that's part of innovation. Um, and yeah, just really the ability to learn from folks that aren't aren't always just sitting next to you, uh, I think, is pretty pretty interesting and and pretty unique about Smith Group. Our ability to do that successfully, I think, a lot of larger firms really focus a lot of their energy internally in like their location mm -hmm. um, and less about sharing. Uh, but Smith Group is very interested in being integrated across all of our offices as well as, and I didn't talk too much about it, but 
about the different disciplines. So we have engineering at Smith Group as well as architecture, um, planning, interior design. Uh, we even have a, a resiliency group that focuses on uh, waterways and coastlines. Um, so there's a, just a, a lot of amazing resources. Interesting. I, I can't imagine there's many firms out there with the, you know, expert knowledge and the, you know, the experienced individuals of Smith Group. So with the opportunity to work across a number of different offices with many different people, for those listening that might be more junior professionals looking for kind of the next stage of their career, I'd definitely perhaps look at Smith Group there. In terms of learning more information about Smith Group, the obvious, the website, perhaps connect with you. What can someone do if they want to learn a little bit more information about that resiliency piece there, perhaps about the engineering group? What can someone do to learn a little bit more? So the, the website is certainly a, a great starting point. Uh, we also have social media channels, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, um, trying to think if we have Twitter, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but we do have some social, I think there's even a YouTube channel. So there's there's a number of different ways to learn about different aspects of Smith Group. Um, and certainly just, I highly encourage if, if folks are interested to reach out to your connections. And if there, and if there are folks that, you know, are a connection or two away that you can connect to at Smith Group, do so and, and ask a question where, you know, we don't bite most of the time. <laughs> awesome. Well, that, that is great to hear. And when we share this episode, Bernadette, I don't know whether you know or not, but you've just signed yourself up to uh, have your LinkedIn uh, profile included in that as well. So for those that are still listening, um, go ahead and connect with Bernadette. You know, from all the information that we've got here, whether it's experience, the way she looks at the industry or looks to help mentor other individuals, she'd be a great person to connect with and have in the network. But Bernadette, that's everything from this podcast episode. So I want to thank you for joining. And, and for those listening and, and still listening at this point, I hope you got something important and impactful uh, from Bernadette during this conversation. So thanks, Bernadette, and have a great day. Thanks, Jakey.